Hi. Yo. Hey. Uh, we definitely got a light and dark thing going on here, huh? Yeah. Well, I got a light that's like shining in my face. And it's one of these like bendy lights. But also you've got a white room, bright top, and just like a um, a genial demeanor that uh, yeah. I don't quite bring to that. Yeah. I, t- I tend to, I try to smile, Oz. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about you. I'll yeah. try it. Okay. So for this one, I two two things happened this week where I've been like super jazzed about stuff and I wanted to talk to you about it. One is I'm reading this book, which if I'm looking at my thing is kind of, maybe it's hard to read, maybe you can read it, but it's called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. Have you heard of this book before? I have not, no, it looks sci-fi. It's sci-fi, yeah. So this was suggested to me in a Hacker News comment. I know everyone thinks that Hacker News comments are this cesspool of negativity, but you can extract some oh, good I, stuff. Yeah, you disagree. I disagree, we can talk okay. about that. Okay, no, no, tell, tell me, me about your book. Oh, anyway, so this came out of a, um, I've been, I was like pushing my short stories last year, especially the ones that I thought would be tech related or tech inspired. And I wrote this short story about von Neumann probes because I had just read this biography of John von Neumann, which was amazing. And von Neumann probes seemed really cool. So I posted this and several people came in to say, this reminded me a lot of this book or even better, it's like, you like von Neumann probes? This is the book about von Neumann probes. So what is a von Neumann probe? So it's this great question. It is this self-replicating device that can be sent out into the universe and then harvest resources and self-replicate itself. And so it has enough intelligence to sort of seek out enough resources. And then it starts like building copies of itself. And it becomes this sort of intelligent swarm. Um, And why is it a von Neumann probe? I believe it's because, well, this is a good question. I should have looked this up. He might've conceptualized this concept. So it may have come from that. I don't think that it's like, it's like, oh, they have a von Neumann architecture in them. I think, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, probably they do, but uh, I think it's because he came up with this as a thought experiment, but I should. Okay, cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, this book reminded me of The Martian. Have you seen that movie or? Love or... it. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, the book is just a fantastic okay, book. Okay. So why do you like that book? Well, because it's one of the few, uh, at least positive recent sci-fi books, that's one. It's like, why has sci-fi degenerated into cynicism, fear-mongering, like all of the negative possible aspects of our beliefs, fears about the future? Mm -hmm. That's what's been manifest in most sci-fi. And so when when you find someone who is not like that, who is either positive or... Uh, ambivalent or like at least balanced about it yeah um like greg egan or someone i feel like that's a kind of balance let's just uh, pull on the thread and and see what happens and so i can get into that so much of it is like well uh all of our possible fears about the future should yeah. be discussed and pro- anyway so okay I so like that's that. one and side then, i think i'm hoping there's another side uh for another reason you like that book yeah the, i mean the main the main reason really is that you have a protagonist who does back of the envelope calculations, like who's doing actual uh, reasoning through things, step-by-step, first principles. That's not omitted from the book. Uh, It is kind of omitted from the film, right? Like the film still captures a lot of the positive aspects, I feel like, of the the process. But the book, it's like, here's three pages of why I think that I'm going to be able to get to the point that I can grow my potatoes or whatever, Here's like the first principles reasoning of how much nitrogen I need and how I can generate it from this. 
and um like it's it's there it's all in the in the book it's not yeah. like abbreviated it is actually how you might start to think through something like this uh as thought through by the author okay i just thought of a third reason why i like that book okay uh because uh i forget the author's name sadly obviously Andy Weir. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So he can code. I mean, look, no news. Everyone can code. I just saw a, a, a tweet the other day with like a list of the top 10 richest people or something, oh, yeah. which is not like obviously something I wouldn't look up or care about uh, generally. And so when I saw it, I was like, wow, these, these are the, the richest people. They can almost all code. Well, exaggeration. Half of them have done a substantial amount of programming yeah. to the point where if you gave them like an interview question, like a standard interview question, maybe with a little bit of prep to, uh, you know, remind themselves they'd be able yeah. to do it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that like That's half sick. of the richest people, it's not like inherited wealth. It's not like business executive, whatever. It's, I mean, there are those people too, but like, uh, anyway. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 that's crazy. But uh... anyway, is one of them. Uh, I mean, not one of the, sadly, not one of the richest people in the world. It, not not yet, make multiple billions of dollars. Yeah, sorry. Maybe next book. Uh, but uh, <laughs> with the Martian, he uh, wrote programs, um, including one to accurately simulate. There's a there's a scene where um, the protagonist uh, has to like uh, do a kind of slingshot um, gravitational pull move. Classic slingshot getting... move. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he like he simulated that uh, to make sure he got all the parameters right in the narrative. And now, yeah. like, the narrative part of it is just standard prose narrative. So, like, it's not like he's giving actual calculations in the book, um, but he still, he knows that theoretically there could be someone out there who could interrogate it. Or I assume that also just for his own, like, um, uh, sense of self-worth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> part of it is, is, I think the origin, accurate. the origin of that is it's self-published and he was slowly trickling stuff out in forums and things like that. And I think... That's where you got a rabid fan base, but that's the kind of like forum lurkers and forum responders. Those are the people who are going to call you out for bad science. In fact, I wrote another story about um, this person who is harvesting a diamond asteroid. And I made some sort of reference like, oh, this thing passed by in front of Venus and we could all see it from Earth. And this person on Hacker News was like, actually, at that distance, you wouldn't be able to see it, et cetera. So I think Andy Weir probably had folks like that in his past. I didn't know it's self-published, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then someone bought it, and it sort of like turned his whole career around. Um, hey, can I say something quickly about self-publishing? Yeah, that, that this reminded me of, uh, but not books. Um, do you uh, do you know a guy called Ian Hubert? Yeah, Ian Hubert. Called... No, uh, you need you need to look up his work. So yeah. he is um, he's like a a. Uh, sorry, I'm not in this world, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna give exactly the right term, but he's he's like an expert in using Blender, I guess like a VFX artist programmer, yep. uh creative director person. He's just like uh from my perspective, again, as someone not in this world, he's just like the world's best blender user. That's how I see him. Mm -hmm. Probably wrong, but that's how I characterize him. Uh anyway, so he's like making a Patreon funded uh, I don't know if it's meant to be ultimately like a series of uh, TV shows or it's going to be a feature film or something, but he's releasing it in episodes. And it's like, here's a one-man film studio using Blender yeah. uh, to fill in everything. So he's got actors in front of green screens, but he's like making the entire world. Wow. Uh, and 
I think like the first is releasing them in like 10, 15 minute chunks. The first one of these took many, many years to release. And then the second 15 minute chunk took two years and he released it um, around a month ago. And then he just released a third one as well. Uh, just like, like crazy. Yeah. And um, anyway, so he's released something like 45 minutes worth of material in I don't know, half a decade or more. Uh, but it's just amazing. It is absolutely phenomenal. There are other people involved, but it's very clear that this is this is film, not just like you know Andy Wiz Martian's fantastic, but like uh, that was one person writing a book. This is one person, you know, bringing together actors and other like uh, 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 people here and there, but generally him just imagining a world visually and producing it. Yeah. It's just like stunning what one person can do. Yeah. Well, uh, the, okay, keep going. So you gotta you gotta go watch this. And okay. I would say uh, you know, after we hang up, you gotta you gotta watch this stuff. It's just absolutely okay. amazing. Well, this but the thing that... that I was gonna say, let me just say yeah. one thing. The third episode is I'm not gonna give away spoilers, but it is just crazy. Uh in the like <laughs> in the sense of crazy that's like not just impressive, but this is um an unleashed creative genius doing whatever he wants in a way where no one is expecting no one was expecting that third episode mm. uh it is like it is just nothing like the first two and there's absolutely no film studio that would have let him do that yeah but no, he no producer would have allowed that to happen i'm guessing he's like well if i just do everything and i'm funded by patreon and my patrons are supportive then i can do i can just like manifest my crazy internal picture of the world why not yeah just, no, it's, i was just that, like gobsmacked by how good it is that brings up two things one i think the most popular kickstarter ever is brandon sanderson who is this fantasy writer and last okay. year he's like hey he's he published tons of books and they're amazing and I was even thinking about reading a passage for it's like Lord of the Rings style stuff. I was thinking about reading a passage at my wedding. That's how much I like these books. But but we didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, got vetoed uh, it, over COVID. He's like, by the way, I'm launching a Kickstarter during COVID. Many it's sort of like Taylor Swift or during COVID, she released two albums that just dropped. He's like, I wrote six books over COVID. I hope you enjoyed whatever you were doing. And he self-published them all. And he's just it's the biggest Kickstarter ever. So it's it's kind of incredible what's happening, what you can do if you're kind of on your own. The other thing, which I think you and I have talked about, there's this movie, Primer, Primer, this sci-fi thing. Have you seen this? It's a time travel movie. No, you've mentioned it. But, okay, but... you would love it. But the whole thing was acted, directed, written, composed by, I think his name is Shane Carruth, all himself for a budget of under $5,000. And it's sort Great. of this like singular vision of this person who can just bring something to life. And then I think... Probably the conduit was, I mean, this is like 15, maybe 20 years ago. So maybe it got some sort of like, what are those called? Festival pickup or something. But now I think you can probably go direct to your fans or whatever. Anyway, it's really cool. Back to this book. The uh, the thing that I'm reading in this, this is very similar to The Martian. Although like without giving it away, instead of instead of waking up and it's like, oh crap, I'm on Mars. How do I survive? This is a, it starts out as a uh, tech entrepreneur, strikes it rich, who's an engineer type person and decides to cryogenically freeze his brain. Um, and of course gets hit by a car and, almost instantly and then wakes up. And it turns out that his mind has been 
uploaded to an AI that is now powering this von Neumann probe. And he's about to be sent out into space oh. and super cool. And it's like, he has to figure out how to do all this stuff and he has to solve all these problems. And there's all kinds of hijinks. And he's got very much the tone of the main character in the Martian, where he's like a bemused, like I've got this new problem and I'm like bemused about it. How am I going to solve it? But the way that this person a a approaches this stuff is what I was thinking about is the engineer's mindset. Like I've got this problem. Let me understand things from first principles. Let me poke around and do experiments. And then let me set up uh, scripts that can automate a lot of this stuff. And where I think Martian probably did a better job of walking you through the first principles. Uh, and this person kind of like, uh, this character just sort of like solves it quickly. And possibly that's because they're augmented by this amazing supercomputer that they can reference. Convenient. Yeah, it's very convenient. And they are a supercomputer, but it's really- Wait, isn't this character just prompt engineering? Is that what you're saying? Uh, possibly yeah, that's true it's like oh um how long has it been it's like the answer is instantly there they're not checking for hallucinations but uh and like the whole point I was like reading this it reminded me of another situation where I was uh I think it's in the road Cormac McCarthy's the road basically nuclear war and there's a flash and this guy who ends up being the main character gets up sees the flash in the distance and goes and fills his tub with water as his first move because I think he, some, instinctively he knows if there's some big calamity, water is going to be a scarce resource. And then I saw that and I'm like, well, I'm screwed. I never would have thought of that. And then I'm reading this book and it's like, wow, this person has this engineer's mindset and I love reading it and I love trying to like adapt it. But maybe, and then I start to get self-conscious, maybe I wouldn't have the same engineer's mindset. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering your thoughts on this. Like, can you grow the mindset of approaching problems with this sort of like, bemused interaction and like setting up systems and how can I do a better job of being like the guy in the Martian and being like this weird AI probe space thing as it relates to like solving these problems and maybe you don't have an easy answer but I, I like reading this I'm feeling like inspired like I could I should apply this to everything in my life and I should make sure I'm doing this but maybe I'm in, not innately built that way or there's some other thing I can do to foster it so I thought maybe you'd have some some thoughts or answers for me yeah what an interesting question um let, let me let's try and get clear on what is the engineering mindset like can you think of a scenario where you know some something happens and uh the people with the engineering mindset take one approach and the people without it take a totally divergent approach mm. uh i think the if i unpacked it it's like find like trying to understand the root cause versus band-aiding a situation and like understanding the root cause and then experimenting with ways to automate potential things that solve the root cause which might not might be several layers below the actual symptom that you might have observed and you yeah. like maybe it's like uh plumbing or something and it's like i have a i have a plumbing leak engineer's mindset might be hire an expert to do this and hope that's probably the answer in most cases. And that also could be engineer's mindset, but another engineer might be like, I need to take apart this whole system. The system might be unrelated. Maybe I find some way of adding a sensor or something that solves this. Maybe that's not a perfect example, but I think it's, a, in my opinion, it's about going down the stack, understanding where it is, and maybe finding ways to prevent it from ever even getting one or two layers above where the root cause was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what an interesting thing to think about. So um some immediate thoughts firstly i would say a very small fraction of software engineers have engineers mindset 
So imagine like you see something come up on the um uh you see a bug show up yeah. in your um, in your logs and uh, or just like surprising behavior in your logs. I think most software engineers ignore it and it's like well it's only one bug like just add it to the pile. Uh maybe once it's affecting some percentage of users maybe if I see it a few more times I'll treat it as not an anomaly. And uh, maybe take it more seriously, or like wait until the first customer complaint. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a reasonable thing to do. Like you've got so many things going on, you can't fixate on every single bug. Yeah, there's there's a small percentage of programmers who are like, hmm, at least like for a minute, that's surprising behavior. the The cost of this is not high necessarily right now, but it may be indicative of something else. And so they're they're uh, they motivated. Squ to they squirrel it away somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or they they pull on it a little bit and investigate mm -hmm. a little bit and see that okay, this is, you know, this is like a anomalous data and it's indicative of a bigger problem we had previously. And I expect to see that if I look in this place, there's another manifestation that's much more costly. Mm -hmm. And this was like the canary in the coal mine. Or this was like the, this was the small clue that we got of something bigger. Uh, that that to me is a rare breed. Yeah. Um, and I kind of instinctively use the word breed there. I actually don't know how much this is this is um, developed as a mentality yeah. and how much of it is like a proclivity that some people have. Like there are definitely some people who go deeper and deeper and deeper on something um, that they just can't get out. They, they just have as a kind of brain worm. Yeah. And um, I think the medical community these days has like a term for that. <laughs> and uh, so I'm not sure like how much of that, like, because that's, it's a, um, it's a, not a productive way of being yeah. in a lot of contexts and for a lot of organizations. And, um, uh, you know, I can think of particular people who I won't embarrass who, who they're like their faults and their, their asset are the same thing, which is that they get fixated on these things and go deeper and deeper and deeper until they understand it. So yeah. Um, it's it's a kind of in some contexts anti-engineering mindset because the engineer is supposed to produce something in the end. Particularly when you think of like a traditional engineer who has a client or something and needs to yeah. serve the client. Ultimately, these people are not like that. But there but there is a fixation on how things work. Um, that and I feel some sort of voyeuristic attraction to these people, and maybe it, maybe it's because I'm not that way myself, or I've like play acted at it in some way, but like, I, I enjoy reading stories from their perspective or watching movies and pretending that I could be like that. And I, in some, I want to be able to pull some of that towards me, even if maybe I I'm not that breed right away. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a mild version of that. And that's, that's actually where I sit. Like I'm like you, and I'm sure we've spoken about this before. Like I look at particularly security researchers with a huge amount of admiration where I'm like, how did you know to even commit a thousand hours of your time to the minutiae of this, like reading the Intel manual uh, to, to figure out the details of this? How did you do that? Just turn to page one and start reading. That's not a, that's not a normal human thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then many of them at the end find the answer. It's crazy. You know, you're reverse engineering this thing. You're trying to like jailbreak this device that just went on the market. No one has any other information about. Um, but I'm not I'm not really like that. What I am, I think, is a kind of middle ground where if I see a bug, I am excited about it. Yeah. And so I, I think most people, when they talk about debugging, are uh, uh, treated as a, as a kind of unfortunate act of programming. 
to me, that's that's a lot of the joy of program. It's like um, uh, the the bug is a gift. The bug, I mean, we're trying to eliminate them, but it is each one is a gift to us. Yeah. Where we have now an opportunity to do some problem solving to understand the system better, to see like why this thing broke in an unexpected way. We have an opportunity to learn, and also just it's fun to try and get to the bottom of it. And um, I, I think there's definitely something that can be cultivated there because I've seen people uh, change their attitude towards these things. I think going back to our previous conversations about flows, sometimes yeah. I, I see a kind of um, trauma where uh, people have been exposed to too challenging of a problem in a context where they um, maybe had a lot of like feelings of self-worth on the line. Mm -hmm. and it didn't work out like they couldn't fix the bug someone else showed up and like i mean maybe i'm guilty of this as well like i sit down with someone who's been debugging something for a while and they're beating themselves up about not being able to fix it and i don't even know why but i have a hypothesis that turns mm -hmm. out to be right this is the it's like snl tech guy who's like move and then i'll just you just do it for them i heard a story like that i won't i know you've got somewhere to go soon so i won't tell the story but uh yeah i, I, I hear that kind of step away from the keyboard kind of thing yeah. i don't mean that it's just like not being sensitive to the fact that this person is having an experience of debugging where um if they don't realize that you've built up a skill over a decade or more maybe like in in terms of the broader engineering mindset you started when you were five piecing like pulling apart your toaster or whatever and trying to figure out how it works yeah maybe you've had three decades of experience of trying to trying to understand things and um they don't realize that that it's a long process and the fact that they don't get it on the first try ends up being like a feeling of well debugging is bad it's a bad experience for me um and i shouldn't try and do it i should avoid situations there where whereas if you have like small wins when you're earlier or younger like as a kid where you do start to figure things out and um and that's a positive feedback loop and you enjoy that i think that that kind of snowballs where you're like lay it on me <laughs> give me the hardest bug you got yeah um, and actually what? you know felix i think i mean it'd be interesting to think of, to talk to felix about this and uh, omar about this because mm -hmm. they're, they're both people who've kind of run to danger yeah. uh in their in their you know to the extent that software engineers really have danger uh, and can run. But like in, in their companies, remember, they're both saying like the, the key to their success without even knowing one another, they're like, oh, the key to my success was that whenever there was a problem, I put my hand up. Totally. Yeah, that's like, I, I think that they must have had a, a process of getting to that point where they have put their hand up maybe for smaller things and um, it's gone well enough. Uh, that they've had a positive feedback loop and i'm sure there's a lot of individual variation and other psychological factors and so on but this is my best guess that some people have like um that we all have a kind of curiosity like maybe again individual vari variation but i think we're born curious at least for my kids and other kids that i've seen there mm -hmm. is this curiosity everyone talks about kids asking why for years and uh for some they end up on a more positive feedback loop of that and for some it's more negative yeah. And uh, the, the people who are very like drawn towards understanding and thinking through things and like a disaster happens and they're curious about, about what's going on. It's like, well, I can't change the fact that the earthquake happens. Uh, now, let me just think, like, how does this affect me? How, you know, what should I do? How should I think about this? Mm -hmm. There's no point kind of wallowing 
um i think that that is like that is a kind of i feel like you know the growth and fixed mindset framing doesn't quite capture this but there yeah. is a kind of um uh self-defeating fixed mindset aspect uh that the that the engineering mindset needs to abandon and just like yeah and i i, I agree with that um approaching those problems and i think the fictionalized version of this that i'm drawn to is the like burn the boats and if i'm marooned on mars or i wake up in an ai space probe thing uh, i don't have another choice so i have to do this and i think sometimes in the work context i do have another choice it's ignore it and let someone else deal with it or focus on something else um but yeah i think i think i should think about how much fun these people are having and run towards those problems uh the you know that maybe we've talked about this the meme of the little dog this is fine in the burning building and everything yeah. i think I, i'm not sure uh your interpretation of that but i, I remember seeing that and i think like the, that's ironic the dog is not fine the house is burning down and then the switch is no the dog is fine the house is burning down but they understand like let me just relax here sip my coffee i know how i'm going to put this out don't worry and that shift when I realized the the true meaning of the the meme, that was a major uh, breakthrough for me. Is that the true meaning of? The I meme? mean, that's the true meaning. I mean, it's the true meaning for me that the dog. You get is a very fine. positive mindset about that meme. Yeah, um, I'd prefer that to uh, like sardonic irony all the time. So yeah, I, I like being positive about that dog. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not about denial, right? Like like I said, we don't want the bugs, but the bugs are still a gift. Like if you didn't have the bugs, you wouldn't have those prompts, those opportunities to 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 apply your your craft. And uh, it's like you talk about um, or you hear about uh, like surgeons. Let's say, yeah. why are surgeons drawn to challenging cases? Like they don't want their patients to be suffering. They don't want them to be suffering in like unpredictable novel ways. In particular, that's going to like reduce their odds of success. It, they would prefer their patients to have like predictable, easy cases, but they're drawn to the challenging cases. You know, they see that those as gifts where they get to apply what they've what they've worked on, their their craft, their mm -hmm. their skill set, their profession, push their abilities. You know, learn a little bit more. And um, yeah, it's it's still like I don't have a good answer for how much of this is innate, developed, and what are the like key factors key factors to development, but fascinated by it because you know also i have kids yeah. and if there's if there's something that i can do to facilitate this positivity towards challenge i think this is the broader thing even outside of the context of engineering and, and technology and whatever this positivity towards challenge i think that's going to be yeah you should just be uh me too like chaos monkeying their toys like purposely <laughs> breaking them and uh seeing if they can figure it out yeah yeah so i, I do, one other like I'll just add one other quick thing I wanted to talk about before before we run, um, which was I experienced like joy and excitement about a like side project this week. And you know, we were talking about like, oh, with the writing stuff, like find the thing that makes you happy. It wasn't about writing, but it was just, it was great. And I had this idea and I was like, woke up in the morning and was working on it and then did a little bit at, like at night and the next day I made it better. Um, and it just felt really good. And it like, I can describe the project if you want, but man, I haven't felt that way in a long time. And part of me is like, as I'm doing it, it's like, this is just, you know, that the problem of snacking on easy things, like it wasn't that complicated or hard, but I made some, like, and I was part of my brain was like, you're snacking. This isn't your real work. Your real work is like X, Y, and Z or writing the book or whatever. You shouldn't be doing this. And on this side, I was like, 
yeah, but this is so, this is really fun. And I feel like I'm doing something and I'm like, uh, I'm learning and I'm making, and it, I just, I, I went to this side and that was really nice. That's so good. Yeah. You just yeah. got to do that. I, I think. Yeah. There's an XKCD cartoon about that where like someone gets yanked out of reality and the, this like spirit or whatever is telling them the secret and the, and the secret is to like do the side quests. It's, it's like you you have this model in your mind that either you do like you're productive in the conventional and standard mm. and like prescribed way or you're a slacker when actually there's all this interesting stuff going on around you and it's reasonable to just like walk sideways and, yeah. uh, and go and pursue that thing and i think that so much success that i've seen in people at the kind of exceptional level is um from them pulling on that thread and not ignoring that that okay. voice so that's okay, cool good. man i'm, I'm very excited that you you had a positive I, experience I, there i felt some feelings it was great <laughs> are you going to keep going with it it's kind of done basically i can describe it very quickly you know everyone's playing with different social media protocols there's one called farcaster that has this like completely permissionless way of um not signing up right now but accessing the data and I've been playing around with this and it's been it's been fun. And there are a bunch of people who have built easy ways to like add APIs onto it. And there was you've seen the Carmack dot plan files. Yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah. Where he wrote, wrote this daily log of this stuff. Well, most of the use cases of this of uh, the social media protocol right now are like Twitter clones. And I was thinking there could be a way if you constrain this and write one message a day that has this particular symbol at the top. And you adhere to this kind of like pattern, like sub constraint on the protocol, you could replicate daily logs and store them on the protocol. And like you can make uh, like a little crappy UI, which I did, which pulls those. And now I have my like Carmack style dot plan files where I, I still just use these other apps to post stuff, but now I can view, like render it myself and it's, I don't oh, nice. have to store it. So it's just like a little thing. I think it's done. It's definitely one of those things where I could keep polishing it and whatnot, but I put it out there. A few people tried it. People might not try it anymore. Who cares? It was just, it felt really good. Um, and nice. uh, yeah, yeah maybe nice. you'll find it. Maybe you'll find it like a seemingly unrelated project where you'll realize that yes, whatever you learn from this actually comes into it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I got to run, but I'll see you. I'll see you next week. Good to chat, Charlie. Okay. Thanks, Oz. Take see care, ya. man.